Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Great Reset Podcast. This is Ed McGuire with co-hosts Julie Albright and Brian Hayashi. In that this episode, we were endeavoring to establish a taxonomy of the unusual circumstance that we all find ourselves in. And our friend Jeremiah Oyang, who is an industry analyst, came up with this uh, this construction that he calls the crisis cake, which I think is a good way of, of looking at the uh, really the, 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 the many different dimensions of change uh, that layer on one, one another, everything from the, uh, the super macro to climate change to the micro, to how we interact with people. And Jeremiah uh, goes through his analysis, and we explore some of the, the economic dimensions, the social dimensions, the business dimensions of you know the the interplay between many of these different vectors of change, and we found it to be a really inspiring conversation. Jeremiah is really dynamic and. He's he's a certainly one of the uh, justifiably one of the, the most highly regarded industry analysts uh, you know, working today uh, with a with deep roots in Silicon Valley and technology, but a much broader scope on the uh, the kind of the broader downstream ramifications of of, of change that's that's come not just from. Uh, technology and the acceleration of digital transformation that's been catalyzed by the by the current pandemic, but also the you know social, social uh, socio political and economic implications as well. So we hope you enjoy this episode. We certainly did, and look forward to your thoughts. As always, we set the stage for our conversation with an overview from uh, Julie Albright. Here's over to you. Thanks, Ed. Well, taxonomy. We humans have an innate need to categorize. We want to make sense of the world, to understand what's going on around us. Although some like the unknown, many fear it. Remember when you were a kid and things went bump in the night? We feared what might be in the dark or under the bed, the boogeyman. Our brain seems to be organized in this way to make sense of things. We categorize to make simpler the work of navigating the world, to do less cognitive work, to make snap judgments as we go about our days. Otherwise, every single day would be exhausting as we pondered over each and every implication of putting one foot in front of the other. And some people do, which is the cause of great anxiety. Psychologists call these sort of go-to ideas in our brains heuristics. And they're useful in that they save us a ton of cognitive work, but they also allow us to assess safety and dangerousness uh, from the level uh, of a basic human task to stay alive and protect ourselves in a dangerous world. We face the challenge, though, of miscategorization or a misunderstanding of the information that we're presented with. I remember a young Indian PhD student from the University of Wisconsin who came to visit my home as a couch surfer a couple of years ago. I'd opened up my home for travelers like him and he was out for a conference or a meeting of some kind at USC and he'd driven from Wisconsin to California. 
I prepared for him a humble meal of spaghetti and a fresh garlic bread, and we sat down across the table from each other on my grandmother's little old wooden tea cart that I'd set up a nice table for him on, and I asked him to tell me about uh, his travels and how it had gone. And he says, oh my gosh, I have the most unbelievable story for you. He was a young student driving from Wisconsin to Berkeley when he'd stopped by uh, the, I think it was the Devil's Post Pile, and there was a little diner there. And he went in to get a piece of pie and a coffee and take a break from the long drive. The bill came and it was about $4.25. So he left a five and got back in his truck and started driving again. A little ways down the road, and this is a big, wide, empty road, mind you, he sees this truck roaring up behind him with this wild-eyed woman behind the wheel. There was no one else on the road, so he starts kind of freaking out. He's looking behind him, and the truck is following him, so he started driving faster, and, and then she started driving faster. So he drove faster, and she drove faster, and this went on for 40 miles. And he was freaking out, starting to panic because suddenly he feels there's a serial killer in the midst. And on the horizon, he sees a gas station. He goes, oh, thank God, the sign of civilization. I'm going to pull over in that gas station. Hopefully this crazy person will keep driving by. So he pulls into the gas station. And this woman that was relentlessly following him in her truck pulled in right behind him. So he starts freaking out and she gets out of her truck and comes up to his car and disturbed, but he knew there was a guy nearby. He looked at her and she said, excuse me, you just came into my diner and you're a young guy and I'm sure you meant to leave $5, but you left a 50. I drove 40 miles to give you your money back. So here he was. In this moment, and this was a Native American woman that he met, and he said he felt horrible because he'd miscategorized her as someone that was out to harm him, and she drove 40 miles, and he took that uh, 50 out of his wallet. He says, I keep that in my wallet to remember this person and what she did and how I was wrong about the way I thought about her. So sometimes, like this young man, we miscategorize. Our perceptions are shaped by our biases, our experiences, our surroundings, even by the kind of media that we take in, which tends to fall within ever-narrowing filter bubbles. Our minds kind of see what we want to see in many ways. Our cognitive biases confirm our suspicions, our worst fears, and we filter out what we see as sort of extraneous information or as red herrings, things that don't confirm what we already believe to be true. So in today's Great Reset Salon, we'll explore this theme of taxonomy and the crisis cake. We'll seek to determine the curves and edges, the safe roads and the dead ends, as we ask ourselves, where is everyone now? What's changed in our lives? Which changes are likely permanent and which are transitory? Who are some of the winners and who are the losers in this great reset? What values are being reset? What's being reset in terms of communications, 
in the arts and our expectations for travel and being in large groups or even small groups at work. Where is the risk of conflict between the digital haves and have-nots? And lastly, where are the opportunities, opportunities on the road ahead for innovation and collaboration? What we're ultimately seeking is a cartography of the pandemic to help find our way through these uncertain times. We're so glad that you're here with us tonight, and I'm gonna to toss it over to Brian. Hey, thanks, Julie. Your story of the restaurant owner and her willingness to drive 45 miles to catch up with that young man who had left a $50 bill by accident. I think for a lot of people who are not uh, business owners, maybe that would seem extraordinary. But I tend to think that if you're a business owner, you tend to look at things a little bit differently. That idea that you're responsible for someone else's paycheck. You, 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 you tend to look at uh, a lot of the people that you bring on as kind of an extended family. And so too, the people that walk into your business, it's like someone that meets your child for the first time and you want them to be a part of your life and you want to show off and, and, and give them reasons to come back. And I think for a lot of those people that, that their lives are becoming a, a lot more complicated because they realize that it, the pandemic isn't just about them, but it's about all the employees that work for them. It's all the customers whose lives that they've known, who they've been a part of, how those, those lives have been upended by the pandemic as well. And I think it's no surprise that a lot of these business owners are also some of the first people that when their, when their customers are run into a financial difficulty, they're the ones that are going out there on GoFundMe and other crowd, crowdfunding sites and saying, this is a person that you should know about. They've had a very bad, bad, bad situation and can we come together and make it better? And I, I find that, that sometimes these, these uh, restaurant owners, these business owners, they can come up with all kinds of interesting um, perspectives. Um, there is a, a, a cook based out of uh, New Orleans named Tunde Wei that back in March, he posted an essay called Don't Bail Out the Restaurant Industry. And his argument was, was that we're on the cusp of something kind of ordinary, kind of remaining exactly the same. And so in 10 installments over the course of the week, he mounted a very forceful, provocative case against the survival tactics that restaurants had turned to in the pandemic. He talked about how the reliance on destructive agricultural practices, its central role in gentrification and community displacement, how all of these things were somehow getting per uh, perpetrated during this time of, of great, great trouble. And so I, I would urge people to, to check out his works because I think it, it, it makes a lot of sense. And so my thinking is, is that working today, that, that we, we, we need to be of two minds at the same time. Number one is how can we get through these days and for the people that rely on us, help continue that, help, help to protect them, how to be there for them in the important ways. But then the other part that we need to cultivate is that part that says, all right, so what can we do that's better? What is it that I'm maybe getting wrong about this world that we're living in? What, what is it about Black Lives Matter, about inequity, that maybe I'm not getting? 
and having an open mind where you're able to listen to someone and instead of having to chime in with your two cents, you really listen and let it wash over you and resist the urge to respond immediately. Today, uh, we have a very special guest, Jeremiah Oyang, who was one of our early guests in our salons. And he's going to be outlining what we thought was actually, you know, I think the, the best uh, framework for understanding, you know, the com incredible complexity of the, of the current situation that we've been, uh, that we've all been navigating. And so tonight's theme is, you know, the taxonomy and the crisis cake. And we, what we'd love to hear, Jeremiah, would love if you could uh, outline the thesis and the concept of the crisis cake. We, you know, we you know, found that to be just an incredibly helpful way to think about this uh, unusually complex context that we're all navigating right now. Sure. Well, I, I don't have everything f figured out uh, by any means, and I'm struggling to just stay on top of all the things that are changing in life. My whole life is turned upside down, like many other people as well. So how do you actually illustrate and tell the story of all of these complexities in one single graphic, but without trying to make people sad and depressed? So we came up with this graphic called the crisis cake. And um, the the story is, of course, you know, you, you got to eat each cake in a, and it, but it's a sour one. And I, and I did a crude drawing and I posted it out there and my friend who's a designer, Vlad, um, he saw it, he said, hey, let me uh, mock it up in Illustrator and make it look pro. So thank you, Vlad, for doing that. And it basically illustrates the many compounding crises that are happening all at once and they're compounding and they're getting worse. And it includes things like an economic downturn, the pandemic, it also includes um, the technology issues that we have, such as the infodemic, which means tremendous amount of information, fake news, as you, right now, there's a tremendous amount of fake news, um, concerns about uh, the economy crumbling, potential uh, issues with uh, politics, and it just goes on and on. It lists out a bunch of things that it, one of them or two of them in isolation would be enough for anybody to manage but trying to deal with uh, five, six, seven of them constantly um, just makes it uh, horrible. And of course, every time I publish it, and I actually haven't put it on, on social media uh, and reposted it in the last few weeks because people are just so upset right now. I just would, uh, I don't think it's going to help anything. But it doesn't, it doesn't even include things like uh, murder hornets and uh, UFOs, which have actually literally come to um, the forefront of the news cycle in the last few weeks. So the crisis cake, of course, last point here is it points out the many issues that we're dealing with. And the point of it is to take it out at face value. And if you're saying, gosh, I feel overwhelmed, I feel depressed, or I feel sad, and I'm struggling to manage this, it's because we're dealing with all of these things at the same time. Uh, but then we need to, of course, find solutions. So when you th when you think about some of the layers, uh, you know, is there a is is there a way to to organize it like a like a hierarchy, or is it or is it more of a, um, I guess you you know might might just call it a you know kind of a, a I wouldn't call it random, but a but you know a mix of of, of different ingredients um, that have created this I would say this uh, unusual you know unusual outcome. 
Yeah, well, we tried to kind of put it into a, uh, a, a taxonomy that made sense. At the very bottom is the, the worst one, which is, you know, climate. Then it, up from there, it's pandemic, recession, inequality, racism, <laughs> civil unrest, political uncertainty, automation fears, and then infodemic. That's a lot of things to contend with. And so we try to think like, um, you know, externally and at, at the base layer and some of the longer team, longer term things like uh, climate collapse is going to be something that will take many generations to handle. So that's really, you know, kind of how we thought about it. But there's, there's not really a way to prioritize these things. They're all interlinked. Yeah, how would you, you know, how would you look at, at the way, you know, the way that the, the mix or the, or the impact of each layer on each other uh, plays out? For instance, right, with, you know, mm -hmm. with so much information that's coming at people and overwhelming them, uh, you know, is there a, is, you know, uh, do, and then when you have, you know, situations, for instance, like, you know, political uncertainty that can be resolved with, you know, with an election, although I think as we speak, we're kind of in the middle, you know, hasn't been completely resolved, but we've got a lot of things that are starting to resolve and, and uh, you know, signs of, of vaccines. You know, how, what, what's the interplay between the different, different layers? Well, they're all interlinked and they all impact each other, right? So, you know, taking inequality, those who, who have less resources are further hurt by climate collapse or the pandemic and certainly the recession, or they need to be folks that have to go on the front line. So nothing is equal here. And it, so these are all related. Um, political uncertainty is tied to the uh, fears of uh, the infodemic and the false information or old information or incomplete information. Um, all of those things are tied. So they're all, we can, we can pull apart those layers and draw them kind of like a network or a web, if you would, to show the interlinkings between them. That's one way we could look at this. Um, but those are all the ways that they are um, impacting each other the, 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 as one of them changes it impacts the, the web of them around them you know, i'd be very interested in your take on how the you know the the you know the, the crisis cake has has impacted you know the uh you know the structure of the economy i know you you had done a lot of work uh, around you know sharing economy right. ideas and how how you know we've had this kind of multiple uh you know, dynamics or forces at play with, uh, you know, with regulations, for instance, in California, which um, with, the, with the election, I guess it was Prop 22 that uh, um, mm -hmm. was passed, okay. which provides some protection to, you know, the Ubers, Ubers and Lyfts of the world. But, but also you've, you've seen kind of an explosion of, of delivery services and, and other, um, you know, other, you know, sharing, sharing economy types of uh, businesses. And we'd love to get your take on on that on what you see yeah that market's changed quite a bit right so we've seen the decrease of ride sharing for sure but we've seen the increase of on-demand delivery service as a function of of fulfilling logistics so that's an example of it trying to really improve uh airbnb has gone through a significant amount of changes right that the traditional way that they've done rentals in urban core has changed and now people are using them for escape homes to leave urban core and go into the uh, vacation areas or to rent for multiple months. Um, so even their business model, and they had layoffs as well as change. Co-working spots have been decimated. Like we don't know, will we work with stand and, and stand. Um, Co-working spots are not desirable when people can get infected from disease. 
So the, the, whole, the whole promise of the sharing economy was to share physical space and objects together and even uh, with, with people, but that whole thing has been upended, the, the physical aspect of, of sharing the, the physical world. But on the flip side, sharing time using these marketplaces where you can get workers and on-demand uh, folks to help you remote uh, in remote work, that has increased at a tremendous rate. And those companies are, are quickly growing, like Upwork, for example. So when one part of the market changes, another side of that market uh, lifts up. Uh, for sure, to ease the tension. I mean, it's worth saying that this market, the sharing collaborative economy, birthed during a recession. So you can see why, it, in many ways, it can thrive in a downturn. One of the really interesting uh, you know, changes or, or adaptations uh, that has happened has been the you know the trend of people you know creating their own home office space. And I think your uh -huh. personal stories really fascinating and would love to hear a bit about, I mean, because you have you know, been a leader in saying, hey, you know, if I'm not going around to, to do what I was doing before, you know, speaking to, to groups of people all over, uh, you know, but, I, but you can't work out from your home, you know, the same way you were before, you know, how you've adapted that and how you, how you see, uh, you know, others adapting to this, through this new, you know, don't, you know, re-domiciling your, you know, your work life. Right. And so work from home is now the standard and uh, many tech companies and then of course other industries will follow suit. A number of tech companies that have now decreed that their employees no longer need to go back to the office even after the pandemic lifts. Although in our research we found that um, people do want to return to the office one to two times per week uh, for group work or collaborative work. And I am publishing a research survey with one of my clients, Ring Central, around remote work. And we found that people are doing okay with individual work and information gathering. But when it comes to group work, people are struggling. Uh, and then we also asked them, do you feel connected uh, to your employees? Do you feel connected to um, you know, your, your, your uh, employer? And it depends upon the, the services that they've helped provide. And um, we can provide a link to that full story and research report on the Ring Central website. Uh, that's just the highlights of that. And that's going to be uh, announced pretty soon. So we certainly looked at that. And then my own personal story, uh, my wife and I had more kids and it just, they were so loud in the house that I couldn't work in the house. So I did procure an, an Airstream for business unit, uh, for business purposes. And it is a um, you know, full business write-off uh, and uh, just I only use it for work in the backyard and it's 29 steps from the house and I've been working in this in this way um, for a number of years and so um, now it's be definitely coming uh, on trend yeah it's funny it's 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 very fashionable I have a friend who owns a recording studio up in uh, upstate New York who had got a couple of airstreams so that people could stay over for you know for a week at a time and, and have a lockout and and I think that's uh, it's 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 compact and and portable and, and amazingly flexible. I, I actually wanted to to turn the turn the question uh, to and to really expand on a point that you made about the desire of people to come back together uh, and and work again in groups, work collaboratively and in person. Um, and one of the big you know the the biggest visible and you know and 
also in many times hidden impacts is, is the impact on, on mental health and, and physical health. You know, with all of these crises having, you know, at the same time, you know, without, you know, without a defined end and, and also, you know, the, just the, uh, you know, the barrage of information and uh, misinformation, um, you know, how, how, you know, how that's fit in the crisis cake. I guess it's probably not a very sweet cake, right? If, if you're, you're trying cake. to yeah, look at the impact on, on physical and mental health. I think the, the cake is like spicy spam pickles and like hot sauce together. Taste something like that. Horrible. Like moldy, uh, you know, moldy, moldy stuff. Fish out of the dumpster moldy fire. Socks. Fish eyes and uh, yeah, it's a pretty horrible cake. I, I don't advise anybody to eat it at once. I mean, I certainly don't want to eat any uh, fish eye cake anytime soon. But there in the airstream, you've you've come to develop your own cadence of how you like to work every day. So for all of the leaders that are trying to deal with this infodemic. What are some of the things that you've done to, to stay on top of things? Specifically just the infodemic, that one? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a tricky one because there's a tremendous amount of information that's being shared without being checked. And, and the social networks are trying to check that. Um, and it's also challenging when the, the leaders of you know, countries or organizations are publishing information and we can't trust whether it's, it's true or not. So we always need to do double, triple check on all the information to see multiple sources. Um, and this is a challenge that is creating fragmentation in society because there's multiple choices of facts to choose from, people will go with whatever they decide to, uh, not necessarily as one single source of truth. And, and that is a form of gaslighting, which is a form of the infodemic. So that is a whole bigger uh, topic that, I, there's other people more qualified to talk just on that topic on fake news, uh, but it is something we will only see an increasing uh, issue in society. Yeah, the impact uh, of, you know, the disparate impact on, you know, financial outcomes or economic outcomes and, and jobs, I think is, is really fascinating, but there's this, a lot of discussion about, you know, a K-shaped recovery and would love to get your perspective as somebody who sits you know, in Silicon Valley, very close to, you know, those who are, have been the, you know, unexpected beneficiaries of the, you know, the work from home and the, and the highly digitized uh, economy, you know, how, you know, the, the perception and, and the disconnects that you perceive coming from the, uh, yeah, the, the, you, the, you know, the division of society into the laptop class. And then, you know, those that actually have to show up for work and, and again, stock yeah. the shelves. And I think that I think that's not. I don't think that's even a theory anymore. I think it's it's true. Um, those that have the resources and those that are on the front line that have to show up and put their health at risk, and those don't even have resources that are put into the street. Like there, you know, th there's a, a the veneer in society has been wiped away, right? So the the top level has been scraped away, and we can see what's underneath that whether that be inequity or racism or those that have resources or those, even the digital divide, kids who had laptops versus those who do not, those who have internet access home uh, for their schooling versus those who do not. Um, the, those things are, are very, very clear um, and on how that works. Uh, and even the wealthy societies, 
like the United States, you can see the divide is very clear and there's significant inequalities that are really spelled out because of this. So if anything, the, the ugliness that in every society that wasn't talked about or was just hidden beneath the surface, because of the pandemic, it has exposed all of it. And now this is an opportunity for us to look at it at face value and try to fix it. And so I think there's an opportunity here. You'd love to get your sense of, of, of how you can reach across the divide, you know, and what ways that you might see that the laptop class can have a, little, a better sense of, of uh, empathy, you know, frankly, to understand what the concerns are. A lot of this is, has, you know, percolated into, you know, pro-lockdown, anti-lockdown, and a lot of that became polarized and layered mm -hmm. in, in other, you know, with other issues, but they're very different interests at, at play. Different interests too, yes. And the if you look at the exit poll data from the 2020 November election, like the, it's not you can't just bucket one group as uneducated or not, uh, um, you know, the lacking education or lacking resources or income. It, it was a pretty wide swath of a, a group that were voting on both sides. Uh, the main difference that I could see having analyzed the New York Times exit polls was rural versus urban. I think that was the biggest breakdown that I could see in the data. Yeah, that's really huge. Um, this is so fascinating. There's, we could talk to you for hours, obviously, about these things. Uh, I was on a call earlier. I was talking to the fellows about it um, with some of the you know leading executives from Silicon Valley, let's say mm -hmm. all the big companies. And uh, we talked about the impact of COVID. Obviously, it's really driving forward a lot of these trends that you're talking about, uh, the digital divide emerging, but, uh, uh, you know, everything's sort of riding on the backs of uh, digital technologies now. And one thing that they talked about was sort of these unexpected opportunities that are surfacing as a result of this thing, even though we've got this, you know, terrible pandemic and there's a lot of loss and things like that, there's also opportunity that's emerging because some of these things are surfacing that maybe we didn't think about, maybe we didn't prioritize or consider before. Uh, could you kind of think about what do you see as some of these new opportunities that are surfacing uh, as we have this crisis cake moment and, and these various layers that we're de dealing with? Obviously, there's losses, but what are the gains? What are the opportunities? What's the future look like there to you? Right. So we're seeing a number of new social networks emerge uh, in order to adjust for how people want to communicate. Uh, there's uh, numerous versions of replications of existing social networks that are being adopted by the conservative groups. Um, Parler being the most talked about one. In fact, it was the number one app in the App Store yesterday. And so people are running there wow. uh, because they're because um, the reasons are Twitter and Facebook continue to censor the, the right, uh, the establishment. And so that's frustrating. And so they can have a discussion there without the concerns of censorship. Of course, that has uh, many issues as well. Every action has an equal reaction, just like in physics. And when it comes to tech, it's the same. So obviously, if you don't have the ability to check facts and sources, um, then there's a downside to that as well. We've also seen the rise of, um, you know, video games have increased and um, audio first social networks have been really come to the rise, such as uh, um, there's numerous versions of those like Clubhouse and Sonar and 
the cookout for the black community. And those are just um, basically like conference call types of apps where people have voice app because uh, Zoom and video conferencing is just too taxing. Uh, the other opportunities, of course, we've seen digital fitness. And I've written a few times on the rise of this market and Peloton being a lead, but there's many others like Mirror and Tonal. And I'm, I'm advising one in Hong Kong called uh, Kara Fitness as well. And so the, the, the fact that gyms are closing, but people need to stay in shape. So we're seeing this becoming digitized and we're seeing new billion dollar tech fitness companies emerge. I'm wearing the Whoop band, uh, which is uh, tracking my biometrics. And they recently announced that they are worth way over a billion because people are focusing on their wellness and, and their main use cases for rest. And the reason for the importance of that is the future of wellness is not just about being fit or healthy or losing weight. It's about immunity during the age of a pandemic. So I just gave you a number of examples of the new business opportunities that are emerging. I love it. So amazing. Brian. Yeah. Uh, Jeremiah. Yeah. Uh, what, what is something that CEOs have within their control that's a, that they have control over that they can do to, that they're, maybe they're not doing right now that can help them get ahead of the, the crisis. Yeah. Right. So the, the real clear thing is they need to be like a shepherd when it comes to their employees and, and really enable them to uh, connect like a community. And it's, you know, we've heard that term, bring your full self to work where you're giving some grace to workers because you can see where do they live? What does it look like in their house? How many kids do they have? How many dogs are barking? Um, and people are, are struggling mentally and physically too. So we need to have some grace for that. Uh, the second thing is, uh, is having an agile business. And this means having the ability to change business models quickly. So for example, retail companies, retailers, excuse me, are now on demand or curbside pickup. So that was a business model change. That's an e-commerce model, whether they liked it or not. And, and those that could, that could not make that change are dead or dying. Like the amount of retailers that are going bankrupt this year is at an all-time high in the last few decades. So it, the, the agility required to change your business. Um, even small businesses have to increase their e-commerce capability and they're adding in you know, chatbots, messaging, um, they're connecting to marketplaces. They, they have to figure out how to go to, to market in a very different way. Of course, all of this is changing rapidly. Just yesterday, the announcement hit that Pfizer has a vaccine that is showing 90% effectiveness. So could the world go back to normal if it's distributed? Apparently, you need two doses, but there's not enough in production for all of United States or world or UK. So it's going to be a phased rollout for those who need it first. So it's not like all of this is going to flip back immediately. So there's still going to be the, the business models that have been efficient during this pandemic will sustain, will continue to grow. We will adopt these behaviors. Like I can't imagine running around Silicon Valley going to this meeting, to this meeting, to this meeting. We're just going to open up some video conferencing technology, and that'll be a more dominant way. We don't need to see each other face-to-face -face now. And I think this new behavior is its lasting so much longer than a lifestyle change, which is typically 30 to 90 days, that this is going to be a common way to meet. We don't need to meet in person for many reasons. 
Thanks to Jeremiah for sharing his insights on the crisis cake, this taxonomy of this extraordinary situation that we find ourselves. The upheaval, the enormous change that's been uh, been foisted upon us by the by the pandemic, by the response to the pandemic, is is having really enormous implications in how we rethink the present but also how we reimagine the future. And I, if I want to leave the uh, podcast on a more positive note, I think one can look at history and look at the, uh, the outcomes of, of crises and see that during these periods of extraordinary change and dislocation, this is when the seeds of great ideas and positive changes are, uh, are planted. And we know that uh, as we're rethinking the way industries are, are organized, the way businesses uh, have to be structured, the way, way we interact with one another, and, and most of all, uh, what we no longer take for granted but appreciate in, in our own lives and in our relationships. As we go forward, this is an opportunity to provide a firm foundation for building a, a positive, sustained growth experience in the future. So with that, uh, thanks again, always uh, to Brian and Julie and our guest, Jeremiah, and we wish you all a, a, an amazing experience going forward as we, we tackle the future. Well, Jeremiah, I have to say, since, since you and I met years ago at the Thin Air Summit in Denver, you've right. always been very, very generous with your time. And Oh, insights into what the world looks like in front of us. So I really wanted to thank you for your time thank and you. your, your insights here. With, with that, I'd like to thank Julie. I'd like to thank Ed. Jeremiah, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, and and uh, if you're listening to the podcast, please give us five stars on, on your app and, uh, and subscribe. So anyway, thanks so much. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Take care.